0: Chapter Five of *The Moon Maid by Edgar Rice Burroughs. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Thomas Copeland. Chapter Five: Out of the Storm. Shortly after we arrived at the village, they took away our watches, our pocket knives, and everything that we possessed of a similar nature, and which they considered as curiosities. The chief wore Ortha's wristwatch above one forepaw, and mine above the other but as he did not know how to wind them nor the purpose for which they were intended they did him or us no good the result was however that it was now entirely impossible for us to measure time in any way and i do not know even to this day how long we were in this strange village we ate when we were hungry and slept when we were tired it was always daylight and it seemed that there were always raiding parties going out or returning so that flesh was plentiful, and we became rather reconciled to our fate, in so far as the immediate danger of being eaten was concerned, but why they kept us alive, as we had slain so many of their fellows, I could not understand. It must have been immediately after we arrived that they made an attempt to teach us their language. Two females were detailed for this duty. We were given unlimited freedom within certain bounds, which were well indicated by the several sentries which constantly watched from the summit of hills surrounding the village. Past these we could not go, nor do I know that we had any particular desire to do so, since we realized only too well that there would be little chance of our regaining the ship, should we escape the village, inasmuch as we had not the remotest idea in what direction it lay. Our one hope lay in learning their language, and then utilising our knowledge in acquiring some definite information as to the surrounding country and the location of the barsoom it did not seem to take us very long to learn their tongue though of course i realise that it may really have been months almost before we knew it we were conversing freely with our captors when i say freely it is possible that i exaggerate a trifle for though we could understand them fairly well It was with difficulty that we made ourselves understood. Yet we managed it some way, handicapped as we were by the peculiarities of the most remarkable language of which I have any knowledge. It is a very difficult language to speak, and as a written language would be practically impossible. For example, there is their word gueo, for which Orthus and I discovered 27 separate and distinct meanings and that there are others i have little or no doubt their speech is more aptly described as song the meaning of each syllable being governed by the note in which it is sung they speak in five notes which we may describe as a b c d and e gu sung in a means something radically different from gu sung in e And again, if Gu is sung in A followed by E in G, it means something other than if Gu had been sung in D followed by E in A. Fortunately for us, there are no words of over three syllables, and most of them consist of only one or two, or we should have been entirely lost. The resulting speech, however, is extremely beautiful and Orthus used to say that if he closed his eyes, he could imagine himself living constantly in grand opera. The chief's name, as we learned, was Gavago. The name of the tribe or village was Novan's, while the race to which they belonged was known as Vagas. When I felt that I had mastered the language sufficiently well to make myself at least partially understood, I asked to speak to Gavago, and shortly thereafter I was taken to him you have learned our speech he asked i nodded in the affirmative i have i said and i have come to ask why we are held captives and what you intend to do with us we did not come to seek a quarrel with you we wish only to be friends and to be allowed to go our way in peace what manner of creature are you he asked and where do you come from i asked him if he had ever heard of the sun or the stars or the other planets, or any worlds outside his own, and he replied that he had not, and that there were no such things. But there are, Gavago, I said, and I and my companion are from another world, far, far outside your own. An accident brought us here. Give us back our weapons and let us go. He shook his head negatively. Where you come from, do you eat one another? he asked. No, I replied, we do not. "'Why?' he asked, and I saw his eyes narrow as he awaited my reply. "'Was it mental telepathy or just luck that put the right answer in my mouth? "'For somehow, intuitively, I seemed to grasp what was in the creature's mind. "'Our flesh is poison,' I said. "'Those who eat it die.' "'He looked at me then for a long time with an expression upon his face which I could not interpret.' It may have been that he doubted my word, or, again, it may have been that my reply confirmed his suspicion. I do not know. But presently he asked me another question. Are there many like you in the land where you live? Millions upon millions, I replied. And what do they eat? They eat fruits and vegetables and the flesh of animals, I answered. What animals, he asked. I have seen no animals here like them, I replied, but there are many kinds unlike us, so that we do not have to eat flesh of our own race. Then you have all the flesh that you want? All that we can eat, I replied. We raise these animals for their flesh. Where is your country, he demanded. Take me to it. I smiled. I cannot take you to it. I said it is upon another world. It was quite evident that he did not believe me, for he scowled at me ferociously. "'Do you wish to die?' he demanded. I told him that I had no such longing. "'Then you will lead me to your country,' he said, "'where there is plenty of flesh for everyone. "'You may think about it until I send for you again. "'Go.' And thus he dismissed me. Then he sent for Orthis. But what Orthus told him I never knew exactly, for he would not tell me, and as our relations, even in our captivity, were far from friendly, I did not urge him to any confidences. I had occasion to notice, however, that from that time, Gavago indicated a marked preference for Orthus, and the latter was often called to his hut. I was momentarily expecting to be summoned into Gavago's presence, and learned my fate, when it discovered that I could not lead him to my country, where flesh was so plentiful. But at about this time we broke camp, and in the press of other matters he evidently neglected to take any further immediate action in my case, or at least so I thought, until I later had reason to suspect that he felt that he need no longer depend upon me to lead him to this land of milk and honey. The Vagas are a nomadic race, moving hither and thither, either as they are pressed by some foes, or till their victories have frightened away the other tribes from their vicinity, in either of which events they march in search of fresh territory. The move that we made now was necessitated by the fact that all the other tribes nearby had fled before the ferocity of the Novans, whose repeated and successful raids had depleted the villages of their neighbors and filled them with terror. The breaking of camp was a wonderfully simple operation. All their few belongings, consisting of extra clothing, trappings, weapons, and their treasured skulls and bones of victims, were strapped to the backs of the women. Orthos and I each bestrode a warrior detailed by Gavago for the purpose of transporting us, and we filed out of the village, leaving the huts behind. Gavago, with a half-dozen warriors, galloped far ahead. Then came a strong detachment of warriors with the women folks behind them, another detachment of warriors following in the rear of the women and children, while others rode upon either flank. A mile or so in the rear came three warriors, and there were two or three scattered far out on either flank. Thus we moved, thoroughly protected against surprise, regulating our speed by that of the point with which Garago travelled. Because of the women and the children, we moved more slowly than warriors do when on the march alone, when they seldom, if ever, travel slower than a trot, and more generally at a fast gallop. We moved along a well-worn trail, passing several deserted villages from which the prey of the Novans had fled. We crossed many rivers, for the lunar world is well watered. We skirted several lakes, and at one point of high ground I saw far at our left the waters of what appeared to be a great ocean. There was never a time when Orthus and I were not plentifully supplied with food, for there is an abundance of it growing throughout all the territory we crossed, but the Novans had been without flesh for several days, and were in consequence mad with hunger, as the fruits and vegetables which they ate seemed not to satisfy them at all. We were moving along at a brisk trot, when without warning we were struck by a sudden gust of wind, that swept cold and refreshing down from some icy mountain fastness. The effect upon the Novans was electrical. I would not have had to understand their language to realize that they were terrified. They looked apprehensively about and increased their speed, as though endeavoring to overtake Gabago, who was now far ahead with the point. A moment later a dash of rain struck us, and then it was every man for himself and the devil take the hindmost, as they broke into a wild stampede to place themselves close to their chief their hysterical flight was like the terrorized rush of wild cattle they jostled and tripped one another and stumbled and fell and were trampled upon in their haste to escape old gavago had stopped with his point and was waiting for us those who accompanied him seemed equally terrified with the rest but evidently they did not dare run until gavago gave the word i think however that they all felt safer when they were close to him for they had a great deal of confidence in him yet they were still pretty badly frightened and it would not have taken much to have set them off again into another route gavago waited until the last of the rear-guard straggled in and then he set off directly toward the mountains the entire tribe moving in a compact mass though they might have fallen easy prey to an ambush or any sudden attack. They knew, however, what I have guessed, that knowing that their enemies were as terrified of the storm as they, there was little danger of their being attacked. None whatever, in fact. We came at last to a hillside covered with great trees which offered some protection from both the wind and the rain, which had now arisen to the proportion of a hurricane. As we came to a halt, I slipped from the back of the warrior who had been carrying me and found myself beside one of the women who had taught Orthos and me the language of the Vagas. Why is everyone so terrified? I asked her. It is Zoal, she whispered fearfully. He is angry. Who is Zoal, I asked. She looked at me in wide-eyed astonishment. Who is Zoal, she repeated, "'They told me that you said that you came from another world, "'and I can well believe it when you ask, who is Zoal?' "'Well, who is he?' I insisted. "'He is a great beast,' she whispered. "'He is everywhere. "'He lives in all the great holes in the ground, "'and when he is angry, he comes forth "'and makes the water fall and the air run away. "'We know that there is no water up there,' "'and she pointed toward the sky.' but when zoal is angry he makes water fall from where there is no water so mighty is zoal and he makes the air to run away so that the trees fall before it as it rushes past and huts are knocked flat or carried high above the ground and then oh terror of terrors he makes a great noise before which mighty warriors fall upon the ground and cover up their ears we have angered zoal and he is punishing us and I do not dare to ask him not to send the big noise. It was at that instant that there broke upon my ears the most terrific detonation that I have ever heard. So terrific was it that I thought my eardrums had burst, and simultaneously a great ball of fire seemed to come rolling down from the mountain heights above us. The woman, covering her ears, shuddered, and when she saw the ball of fire she voiced a piercing shriek. "'The light that devours!' she cried. "'When that comes to, it is the end, "'for then is though all mad with rage.' "'The ground shook to the terrifying noise, "'and though the ball of fire did not pass close to us, "'still could I feel the heat of it, "'even as it went by at a distance, "'leaving a trail of blackened and smoking vegetation in its rear. "'What flames there were, "'the torrential rain extinguished almost immediately.' It must have travelled about ten miles, down toward the sea, across rolling hills and level valleys, when suddenly it burst, the explosion being followed by a report infinitely louder than that which I had first heard. An earthquake could scarce have agitated the ground more terrifyingly than did this peal of lunar thunder. I had witnessed my first lunar electrical storm. And I did not wonder that the inhabitants of this strange world were terrified by it. They attribute these storms, as they do all their troubles, to Zoal, a great beast, which is supposed to dwell in the depth of the lunar craters, the lower ends of which open into the interior lunar world. As we cowered there among the trees, I wondered if they were not afraid that the wind would blow the forest down and crush them. And I asked the woman who stood beside me, yes she said that often happens but more often does it happen that if one is caught in a clearing the air that runs away picks him up and carries him along to drop him from a great height upon the hard ground the trees bend before they break and those who watch are warned and they escape destruction if they are quick when the wind that runs seizes one there is no escape it seems to me i said that it would have been safer if Gavago had led us into one of those sheltered ravines. And I indicated a gorge in the hillside at our right. No, she said, Gavago is wise. He led us to the safest spot. We are sheltered from the air that runs away, and perhaps a little from the light that devours. Nor can the waters that drown reach us here, for presently they will fill that ravine full. Nor was she wrong rushing down from the hillside the water poured in torrents into the ravine and presently though it must have been twenty or thirty feet deep it was filled almost overflowing whoever had sought refuge there would have been drowned and washed away to the big ocean far below it was evident that gavago had not been actuated solely by blind terror though i came to know that he must have felt terror for these terrible electrical storms alone can engender it in the breasts of these fearless and ferocious people. The storm must have lasted for a considerable time. How long, of course, I do not know, but some idea of its duration may be gained by the fact that I became hungry and ate of the fruit of the trees, which sheltered us at least six times, and slept twice. We were soaked to the skin and very cold, for the rain evidently came from a great altitude. During the entire storm, the Novans scarcely moved from their positions under the trees, with their backs toward the storm, where they stood with lowered heads like cattle. We experienced twelve detonations of the ground-shaking thunder, and witnessed six manifestations of the light that devours. Trees had fallen all about us, and as far as we could see, the grasses lay flat and matted upon the ground. They told me that storms of the severity of this were infrequent, though rain and wind accompanied by electrical manifestations might be expected at any season of the year. I use that expression from habit, for one can scarcely say that there are any well-marked seasonal changes within the moon that could indicate corresponding divisions of time as upon the earth. From what I was able to gather, From observation and from questioning of the vagas, lunar vegetation reproduces itself entirely independent of any seasonal restrictions, the frequency and temperature of the rains having seemingly the greatest influence in the matter. A period of drought and cold rains retards growth and germination, while frequent warm rains have an opposite effect the result being that you find vegetation of the same variety in all stages of development, growing side by side, blossoms upon one tree, fruit upon another, and the dry seed pods upon a third. Not even, therefore, by the growth of plant life might one measure time within the moon, and the period of gestation among the vagas is similarly irregular, being affected by the physical condition of the female as well as by climatic conditions, I imagine. When the tribe is well fed and the weather warm, the warriors victorious, and the minds of the women at peace, they bring forth their young in an incredibly short period. On the other hand, a period of cold, or of hunger, or of long marches following defeat, induces an opposite result. It seems to me that the females nurse their young for a very short period of time, for they grow rapidly, and as soon as their molars are through, and they can commence eating meat, they are weaned. They are devilish little rascals, their youthful exuberance finding its outlet in acts of fiendish cruelty. As they are not strong enough to inflict their tortures on adults, they perpetrate them upon one another, with the result that the weaker are often killed, after they are weaned and have left the protection of their savage mothers. Of course, they tried to play some of their fiendish tricks on Orthus and myself, but after we had knocked a few of them down, they left us severely alone. During the storm they huddled, shivering and cold against the adults. Possibly I should be ashamed to say it, but I felt no pity for them, and rather prayed that they would all be chilled to death. So hateful and wantonly cruel were they. As they become adults, they are less wanton in their atrocities, though no less cruel, their energies, however, being intelligently directed upon the two vital interests of their lives, procuring flesh and women. Shortly after the rain ceased, the wind began to abate, and as I was cold, cramped, and uncomfortable, I walked out into the open in search of exercise that would stimulate my circulation and warm me again as i walked briskly to and fro looking here and there at the evidences of the recent storm my glance chanced to rise toward the sky and there i saw what appeared at first to be a huge bird a few hundred feet above the forest in which we had sought shelter it was flapping its great wings weakly and seemed to be almost upon the verge of exhaustion and though i could see that it was attempting to fly back in the direction of the mountains The force of the wind was steadily carrying it in the direction of the lowlands and the sea. Presently, it would be directly above me, and as it drew nearer, I knit my brows in puzzlement, for except for its wings, and what appeared to be a large hump upon its back, its form bore a striking resemblance to that of a human being. Some of the novans evidently saw me looking upwards thus interestedly, and, prompted by curiosity, joined me. When they saw the creature flying weakly overhead, they set up a great noise, until presently all the tribe had run into the open and were looking up at the thing above us. The wind was lessening rapidly, but it still was strong enough to carry the creature gently toward us, and at the same time I perceived that whatever it was, it was falling slowly to the ground, or more correctly, sinking slowly. What is it? I asked of the warrior standing beside me. It is a yuga, he replied. Now shall we eat. I had seen no birds in the lunar world, and as I knew they would not eat the flying reptiles, I guessed that this must be some species of bird life, but as it dropped closer, I became more and more convinced that it was a winged human being, or at least a winged creature with human form. As it fluttered toward the ground, the Novans ran along to meet it, waiting for it to fall within reach as they did so gavago called to them to bring the creature to him alive and unharmed i was about a hundred yards from the spot when the poor thing finally fell into their clutches they dragged it to the ground roughly and a moment later i was horrified to see them tear its wings from it and the hump from its back there was a great deal of grumbling at gavago's order As following the storm and the long fast, the tribe was ravenously hungry. Flesh! Flesh! they growled. We are hungry, give us flesh! But Gavago paid no attention to them, standing to one side beneath a tree, awaiting the prisoner that they were bringing toward him. End of Chapter 5 Recording by Thomas Copeland